0: Cancer Advances, a Cleveland Clinic podcast for medical professionals, exploring the latest innovative research and clinical advances in the field of oncology. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Cancer Advances. I'm your host, Dr. Dale Shepard, a medical oncologist here at Cleveland Clinic directing the TOSSIG Early Cancer Therapeutics Program and co-directing the Cleveland Clinic Sarcoma Program. Today, I'm very happy to be joined by Dr. Sam Chow, Associate Director of the Gamma Knife Center here at Cleveland Clinic. Dr. Chow was previously a guest on this podcast to discuss distinguishing brain tumor progression from radiation necrosis, and that episode is still available. He's here today to discuss the evolution of gamma knife technology, so welcome back. Well, thank you for having me, Dale. So, uh, remind us a little bit about what you do
1: here at Cleveland Clinic. Well, I'm the Associate Director at the Gamma Knife Center. My main focus is to treat brain tumors As well as spine tumors with radiation. I'm also associate or I'm also vice chair of quality and safety in the Department of Radiation Oncology.
0: Excellent. So we're going to talk about gamma knife technology. So give us a little bit of an idea. What exactly is gamma knife technology? What what is
1: gamma knife? So gamma knife is a stereotactic radiosurgery platform, and it's really designed to treat brain tumors. When it was first conceived back in the 50s and 60s, the thought at that point in time was that the scalpel didn't really have a role in terms of treating anything within the brain, you know, certainly we didn't want to cause more damage uh, than any benefit. And so the thought is that if we can do anything non-invasively, that's all for the best. Obviously back then there wasn't enough uh, imaging technologies to really target things like brain tumors. So we really have to fast forward to the 80s and, and 90s to really develop those imaging technologies to be able to target things like brain tumors and other functional disorders that we do sometimes treat with uh, Gamma Knife radiosurgery. Gamma Knife uses 192 beams of radiation, at least in its current iteration, all focused on a single point. And what we try to do is to dot shots with radiation uh, to the tumor and cover the entire tumor and obviously try to kill the tumor.
0: So 192 beams, that's a, that's a long way from just having a radiation source that just blasts anything in its path,
1: right? Absolutely, absolutely. And that better spares the surrounding brain as best as we can and really targets what we need to target with a high-intensity focus of radiation.
0: Now, you mentioned that this is a, a platform for stereotactic radiosurgery. So how does Gamma Knife just from a terminology standpoint and make everyone kind of understand the differences here. What's the difference between Gamma Knife and SBRT? So
1: Gamma Knife is a stereotactic radiosurgery system. And just by definition, we usually qualify stereotactic radiosurgery as a treatment for things in the brain or the spine, anything that's CNS related. SBRT is usually uh, thought about in terms of stereotactic radiation, very similar in concept, to what we do in the brain, but to other sites in the body, and so many platforms that we do use in terms of treating SBRT could also treat the brain, but the Gamma Knife is a dedicated system specifically for the brain, which does offer some advantages.
0: And and what kind of advantages would that be? So, is some, it
1: just the just the ability to localize a little bit more precisely,
0: or what exactly are we looking at from advantages?
1: Yeah. So, some of those advantages include just efficiency in terms of being able to treat. So, for example, with you know traditional SBRT systems, linear accelerator-based radiosurgery, things like the CyberKnife, often requires quite a bit of uh, pre-planning. In other words, you have to get a CT scan that's separate, uh, that usually takes a while to do the plan, usually a day or two, before you can actually treat the patient. With the GABA Knife system, all of that is, can be integrated within the day. So the patient would come in early in the morning, we can do the MRI scan, the CT scans, a mobilization, whether that's going to be with a frame or the mask, and then literally plan out the treatment. The, the treatment is very, very straightforward in terms of its planning uh, and go ahead and deliver that treatment all in the same day. Uh, that's a little bit more difficult to do with other systems.
0: All right. Again, just trying to kind of help people understand this whole process. Um, you mentioned immobilization with a frame and a mask. Mm-hmm. What uh, Tell us a little bit about that, why you might
1: use one over the other. Excellent question. So historically speaking, frame was the the facto standard for treating brain tumors using stereotactic radiosurgery, You put on this frame using two screws in the front, two screws in the back. It holds the head rigidly. Um, and then you get a CT scan for localization and you deliver the treatment. That being said... You know there are other improvements in terms of Gamma Knife technology. For example, with the Icon, which uh, we uh, obtained, you know, several years ago, that allows us to do a cone beam CT before treatment, which does allow for flexibility in terms of a mask-based treatment. And now you can go from a frame-based treatment now to a mask-based treatment with exact same precision and accuracy with the frame. The advantage of that is that now you don't have to put on the frame, which you know can be sometimes concerning for some patients. It's completely non-invasive now. And it also allows us to be able to do fractionated radiosurgery. So rather than just having to do just single session radiosurgery for some of the larger tumors, they may have some benefit in terms of fractionating. Now we're able to do these treatments uh, over five days uh, to be able to better be safe about the brain. And that's, that safety comes from less energy per fraction? Exactly. So less energy per fraction that allows for some normal tissue healing in the surrounding structures. Uh, and for f- things that are bigger that you really need to get the dose in, sometimes fractioning and delivering the radiation over multiple days can be safer.
0: And we talk about
1: size. So when we
0: think about doing this as a procedure, what are the limitations practically in terms of size of lesions, number of lesions? What What are some of the the restraints from that standpoint
1: so that has always that's that change is ongoing so i mean historically speaking we used to say well anything you know four centimeters or less is something that we can target with stereotactic radio surgery and that was back in the days when we we're doing frame based and doing single session or single fraction radio surgery nowadays with the ability to both either fractionate or even do what we call stage stereotactic radiosurgery we're allowed to treat uh, not only bigger lesions, but also many more lesions. In terms of the practical limitations, you know, we could treat, you know, 10, 20 spots within the brain for metastatic disease. And historically speaking, that was actually fairly cumbersome. But with improvements in terms of technology and the efficiency in terms of treatment delivery, and not only that, you know, be able to sometimes even spatially space these apart. So rather than having to you know, force the patient to be treated for 20 lesions in a given day, which could probably even take many, many, many hours, uh, giving you know them a break and 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 coming back another week uh, to get another handful treated so that we can even treat upwards of of 20 plus lesions if need be.
0: From a, a practical standpoint, I, it's hard to count the number of times you go on a hospital service and you know someone comes in with a brain met, and of course, radiation oncology gets gets consulted, neurosurgery gets consulted. What are sort of situations where radiation's clearly better, situations where surgery would clearly be better?
1: So oftentimes we try to think about radiosurgery as our number one modality for treating brain metastases because it's non-invasive and it's really easy to do Uh, it gets patients back on their feet quicker they can go on to systemic therapies much quicker than if we do something invasive like a craniotomy that being said craniotomy is to take out tumor still has its role in terms of the management of brain metastases patients who are very symptomatic tumors that are extremely large impinging heavily on the brain Uh, causing a lot of swelling or edema in the surrounding brain tissue, uh, may benefit from doing surgery. And so, you know, with with us going up and seeing the patient up in the hospital floor, as well as neurosurgery, that allows us to chat about the patient, decide on what's the best option. One of the things that we have started to do over the last several years is to even consider doing the radiosurgery before we do the surgery. Uh, what we call neoadjuvant radiosurgery. And therefore it can make things a lot more straightforward, a lot quicker in terms of their treatment. They don't have to wait afterwards for us to do radiation uh, to clean up the resection cavity. It makes the radiation much tighter. It prevents, you know, development of leptomeningeal disease and also reduces the risk of radiation necrosis. So many of these patients, even when they come in the hospital and we decide that we want to do surgery, sometimes we can strategize by doing some radiosurgery in advance to essentially, quote-unquote, sterilize the tumor.
0: When we think about the the technology, we're 192 beams. It's, uh, you know, ability to do masks now with with localization, with CTs. What are some of the things that are still limitations, what, what's, is, are there things that are being developed to make this e- an
1: even more effective therapy? Absolutely, so, I mean, I think, you know, when we think about you know how successful we are with, with gamma surgery and the management of, let's say, brain metastases, and for the most part, I think 80, 90% of the time, we, we get good control. Um, but there are some issues that do develop. So one, I mean, there is local recurrence. And perhaps, you know, we could strategize more with systemic therapies to decrease the chance of recurrence for brain metastases. And some of that has been shown, particularly with immunotherapies and other targeted therapies that can be done in addition to radiosurgery to act synergistically for tumor control. The other thing that we struggle with is also radiation necrosis. So if you give enough radiation to the tumor, and we talked about this in the past, you can cause, you know, quite a bit of inflammation that could develop, you know, months out or years out. Uh, and sometimes that, that could also be frustrating to, to manage and take care of. Uh, so we also want to reduce those risks. You know, trying to treat more brain metastases. So, you, know, you know, when when we talk about the management of brain metastases, you know, we, we try to do radiosurgery as much as we can. But as you get to the higher numbers in the, you know, 15 and 20 range, certainly that makes it much more cumbersome to deliver. And hopefully with, you know, improvements in terms of efficiency with planning, um, that may come out uh, in the future, especially with the new Esprit system um, that, that that make it more straightforward to treat many more lesions.
0: Are there any particular areas in the brain, um, the spinal cord, are there areas that are still difficult to treat based on location?
1: So the brain stem is always a little bit risky in terms of treating, though we've done it multiple times and determined to be it safe. You know, it's always something that, that sits sits in the back of our minds, and and we have to always give um, you know fair consideration about the potential toxicities of, of brainstem necrosis. The optic nerve and chiasm is usually an, a no fly zone for radiosurgery. Uh, those uh, structures are very very uh, sensitive to radiation. Um, and but you know if if we could figure out a way or a strategy to treat them, radiosurgery wise, you know either fractionating in some way shape or form um, you know th- those things could be considered but still yet to to be discovered that's yet to be thought of
0: and i guess if we're talking about radiation we're talking about different types of radiation we talked about sbrt versus gamma knife something that would inevitably come up with is protons mm-hmm. um how are there what, what are situations where people might advocate for protons instead of gamma knife just so people get a
1: sense of what what the practical application of that would be? So protons has an interesting physical pre- feature, so that it delivers very modest dose of radiation until it gets to its target, delivers a lot of radiation, and beyond that, it doesn't deliver any radiation. And for tumors that are really close to very critical structures, certainly offers some advantage. Radiosurgery does it a bit of a different way. So what we're trying to do is really try to minimize dose of the surrounding structures and focus the radiation uh, directly on the tumor. There are things that we still need to treat with protons. So, for example, things that are a little bit largely infiltrative in the brain, we're going to be fractionating it and delivering radiation over six, seven weeks, for instance. You know, we still have to utilize proton therapy. We can't use radiosurgery to achieve that effect in terms of keeping dose away from critical structures. There's always going to be a role for proton therapy in terms of management of things like Uh, craniospinal radiation, which obviously requires a larger field of radiation, but yet you're trying to spare normal tissues and structures. People are trying to figure out whether or not they can do proton therapy in a radiosurgical format, you know, using protons as a means to deliver radiosurgery. There's a lot of things that we still don't necessarily understand about protons uh, in terms of its biological effects and real biological equivalents. And so, In that in that case, you know, it's it's still things that we need to work on in terms of understanding the the uh, physics of of proton therapy and the radiobiology of physics better before it becomes prime time. But stereotactic radiosurgery in the form of Gamma Knife or linear accelerator based radiosurgery already has a long safe track record.
0: We talked about uh, using Gamma Knife for things like metastases.
1: Uh, What's the role for benign lesions? So it definitely has a very important role in terms of managing benign lesions. So we we treat things like meningiomas, pituitary adenomas, vestibular schwannomas with radiosurgery, all with 90% plus success rates in terms of tumor control. Uh, Certainly in some of those cases, it's very difficult to do anything from a surgical standpoint. Oftentimes they're in the base of the skull. They're next to or adherent to critical structures. And that's where the advantage of radiosurgery comes into play. Not only do we use radiosurgery to treat benign brain tumors, we also use it to treat uh, functional disorders. So uh, tremors can be treated with uh, stereotactic radiosurgery as well as trigeminal neuralgia can be treated with stereotactic radiosurgery. Some vascular disorders like arterial venous malformations or AVMs are treated with stereotactic radiosurgery. And one of the programs that we're starting to develop here is to use uh, gamma knife radiosurgery uh, to treat pain syndromes. So patients with uh, cancer pain syndromes that are very refractory to medications by treating uh, the pituitary, uh, you can actually exert some pain relief and there's been some studies to show that. So we're gonna be starting our program fairly soon.
0: That's great. So when we uh, we think about um, these therapies, we talked about gamma knife, Some some, um, some possible improvements on that. Do you think the, the future in terms of better treatment for patients is primarily improvements in Gamma Knife, or is there some other technology that you find particularly exciting that might be more effective?
1: So that's a great question, and you know, we certainly feel that Gamma Knife is going to constantly continue to improve on itself, uh, and we're looking forward to what those improvements are going to be uh, that's going to be developed by the company. Uh, but there's a lot of other things that are coming that are exciting that, that I think work together uh, with, with gamma knife radiosurgery. So, for example, uh, laser interstitial thermal therapy, which was developed here uh, in part at the Cleveland Clinic, certainly has a role in terms of being able to take care of recurrent disease that uh, recurs despite gamma knife radiosurgery, in which case then we can do a laser interstitial thermal therapy, biopsy the tumor so we know exactly what we're dealing with, and then sometimes following that up with fractionated radiosurgery. Or if the patient uh, develops radiation necrosis, and we can use that, you know, to treat that. Something in terms of uh, technology that almost looks similar in concept to, to gamma knife radiosurgery is, uh, is HIFU, or high-frequency ultrasound uh, that's used to actually can cause lesions within the brain, and they are using that, for example, here at the Cleveland Clinic to treat tremor disorders as well.
0: I guess given the range of different ways things can be treated, kind of the expertise you have within these these uh, these therapies, um, one thing I always like to think about is what type of patient, what type of condition would someone benefit from coming to a, a high-volume center like Cleveland Clinic compared to being out in a community setting and and getting radiation therapy? Are there particular types of patients that really need to have that discussion about different modalities and and expertise?
1: No, absolutely. I mean, we treat about 900 plus cases per year at the Cleveland Clinic between our two machines. We have an Icon machine as well as an Esprit machine. I think there are things that we can do that may not be easily offered over in the community. So for example, in the community, they may be able to treat one, two, or three brain metastases uh, fairly easily. But as the number of brain metastases goes up, it can be much more trickier to treat and also, it can be much more difficult to follow because you have to follow these multiple lesions. Those are things that we do, you know, as experts in terms of what we do here at the Cleveland Clinic, uh, managing toxicities. So, you know, even though we talk about gamma radiosurgery as being a, an excellent modality to treat brain metastases, for instance, there's still a 5 to 10% risk of radiation necrosis anytime we do a treatment. Uh, and we need to follow for that, and we need to be able to manage that. Uh, and so, you know... Uh, Places that don't really have a lot of expertise may not easily manage those indications. Uh, they may even not have the modalities to be able to accurately diagnose radiation necrosis, for instance, and you know, certainly we have a huge team to be able to do that.
0: Well, Sam, you guys are doing great work. Um, have, have a lot of exciting technologies available to, to help patients, and appreciate your insight.
1: Well, thank you very much.
0: To make a direct online referral to our TOSA Cancer Institute, Complete our online cancer patient referral form by visiting clevelandclinic.org cancerpatientreferrals. You will receive a confirmation once the appointment is scheduled. This concludes this episode of Cancer Advances. For more podcast episodes, visit our website, clevelandclinic.org canceradvancespodcast. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.